Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is John Vroman. John is a keynote speaker, a coach, and the co-founder of the Front Row Foundation. He's also the host of the Front Row Factor podcast and the author of the book, The Front Row Factor, Transform Your Life with the Art of Moment Making. Today, he's going to teach us how we can create moments that will deeply connect us to the people we care about most, moments that we and the people we love will remember forever. John, can you tell me a little bit about your background, the work you do, and what inspired you to pursue this path? Yeah, well, the... Uh, I'll give you the the meaty answer to this. Um, The background uh, goes all the way back to when I was a kid and I wanted to always make my parents feel great um, to surprise them, you know, by cleaning up the house. I was like a weird kid like that, right? I did all these, you know, they'd wake up and I'd have breakfast cooked or I'd be making menus for them. I was always seeking approval and uh, wanting to make other people feel great. That's just a part of kind of my DNA and my makeup. What that translated to in my 20s was a job where I was a promotions guy, and my job was to make people feel great. I rewarded people. I took them on big trips around the world. I, you know, I, I coordinated, created incentives for salespeople, and it was awesome. I loved my job. I found myself in my dream job in my 20s, and and then when I, I was approaching my 30s, um, I. I asked if there was more to this whole thing than just fancy dinners and I'd bought the house and the car and I felt like I was doing okay. You know, I'd, I was I was happy with where I was, but I wasn't truly fulfilled. And at that moment, I turned my attention to contribution and giving. You know, my mentors all said, well, that's, you know, that you'll find lasting fulfillment when you find out how to be a giver in a big way. And I felt like I was always giving, but I was giving for a lot of the reasons of wanting to feel the love in return. You know, it was very much of a, of a, how, how is this affecting me versus how is this affecting other people truly deeply, even from an anonymous standpoint, you know, when nobody ever knows that you'll give to them. So we started Front Row Foundation in 2005, uh, which is a charity that helps kids and adults who have a life-threatening illness to get a front row experience at the event of their dreams. And uh, the way I describe it is it's like Make-A-Wish meets Tony Robbins. You know, And uh, uh, we started that uh, just around my corporate job. And it was going so well that in 2008, three years later, I decided to quit my corporate job and pursue a life that was committed more to the charity and then a job that would support it, which be, was a uh, at the time being a speaker. Uh, speaking about everything I was learning. And what we say now is there's a lot you can learn about living life from people who are fighting for it. And after all these years of working with people who are fighting for their life, I learned a few things. I was so excited. It was changing my life. It was changing our community's lives that I wanted to share it with other people. And that's what we started to do. So for the last 10 years, I've been a paid professional speaker talking about living life in the front row, being a moment maker, right? And a book that we wrote called The Front Row Factor. So where that lands me today is doing lots of different things under the front row brand, you know, um, but ultimately uh, sharing this message that all started with a charity. And uh, and now as a father and a husband, I've even turned the attention to what we call front row dads, which is a dad's group focused on being engaged and making the most of all of our moments while we can. And that brings us to this very moment where we're talking today. <laughs> I have a lot of questions uh, that some of the things you said have brought up, but I want to start with moment making. Can you describe what moment making is? Yeah. Well, where, where moment making started for us was 
uh, in the charity, of course, helping people who are really battling in life to have this incredible experience. And we started to identify that we were moment makers. We could take this, uh, you know, an any ordinary day and we could turn it into something that people would remember forever, you know, where we would make them feel a certain way, feel special, feel celebrated, feel witnessed, feel loved. Uh, and these are people that really needed that, you know, that, uh, you know, they were really fighting. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, there's, I can always tell you what we do, uh, but I always think it's better to tell you a story. So can I share with you one of my favorite stories? Absolutely. You can share it Because I, th- <laughs> I think this really gets to the heart of moment making. And this, this, this will tell the audience why we do this. Um, and, and I think this is important. So back in 2007, we were just two years into this whole thing. And one of my buddies, John came up to me and said, Hey man, um, I've got a friend, her daughter has a brain tumor, cancer, and she's been in and out of the hospital and she's really young and she's uh, boy, she could really use something to uplift her spirit. And you started this charity. And I know that she's a big Kelly Clarkson fan. Do you think we could send her to one of her shows? And so I got to know this little girl and I got to know the story. And at first I was like, how big of a fan could you be at four years old? (laughs) Uh, I didn't have kids at the time. Um, but I soon found out that uh, she's really, truly a fan. You know, she'd, she'd listen to the music every day in the car. It would lift her up. It would make her smile. And even as she was battling all these surgeries and treatments and, uh, you know, days in and out of the hospital constantly, that Kelly was sort of her uplifting um, spirit, you know, that uh, would lift her soul. And, uh, you know, her mom and her would have dance parties at night when they go to bed to Kelly Clarkson music. And our team got so excited about making this event possible that, we just started to piece it all together. And what that looked like was, you know, after all the planning, we picked up little Sophie at her house in a limousine. Uh, you know, we rolled out the red carpet. Sophie was wearing this, you know, purple little dress. And, you know, we poured her sparkling cider in the limousine and we just treated her like a princess for the day. And she felt awesome. We took her to the Rainforest Cafe for dinner. And if you know anything about that restaurant, you know, the animals come to life and there's a there's a thunderstorm in the middle of it. It's awesome, like especially for kids. And uh, it was a great day. And we, you know, of course, we got to the concert and we had told Kelly Clarkson that we were coming. Um, so she knew. And so she even like pointed at Sophie when she walked into the room, it was a smaller venue and it was really intimate. It was really cool. It was like awesome. And it could have all ended there and it could have been awesome. You know, it would have been a perfect day. Uh, but what Sophie didn't know was we had a little surprise. And that is that when it was, uh, when the concert was over, um, Sophie thought it was all done. So she fell asleep in her mother's arms and we took her backstage where she was about to get a meet and greet with Kelly. And so Kelly comes into the room and she's in this, you know, this big, awesome voice. She comes into the room. She's like, hey, y'all. And little Sophie wakes up from her her nap and turns around and they they lock eyes. You know, Sophie and Kelly just uh, connect. And then Kelly picks Sophie up and holds her in her arms. And I'm looking at that picture right now as I talk to you. It sits just two feet from where I stand and sit at my desk every day. And I see this picture of little Sophie. And it reminds me, this moment, this one moment that we help make possible um, reminds me of why I do the work that I do. Now, there's a piece to this uh, that, that makes this even more important. Not only was it enough to see this little girl who was, you know, had a migraine earlier that day because she's fighting brain cancer and to be smiling so big and so bright and to have this moment, you know, this moment of relief and this moment that brought a lot of hope for her and a moment that she would then celebrate afterwards that, uh, that why this is so important is that eight weeks after that picture was taken, uh, Sophie took her final breath 
And we were all crushed, of course. And it was devastating news to everybody, the community, her family, you know, everybody was very saddened um, by this. And um, while everybody was mourning the loss of Sophie, uh, our team went to go to her funeral to support. And I re- now, I'll never forget this. John and Mara Berghoff, who were the event hosts on our team that took Sophie uh, and still involved in Front Row Foundation to this day, um, they came back and said, John, uh, it was incredibly challenging to be there, of course, and uh, but it was very meaningful to be there with the family. Um, we were taken back when we walked up to the, to the casket and we lo- we saw Sophie laying there in her white dress and laying on her chest was her Kelly Clarkson VIP badge to get her backstage. And what I recognized about that moment was that in talking with her mom, her mom said that her, one of her greatest fears was that Sophie's life would be forgotten, right? That her memory would be forgotten. And that, uh, that that moment was so important, not only because of the hope that it brought leading up to the day, the excitement, um, the, the moment itself, and how uh, seeing her daughter smile was, was one of the greatest moments of her mom's life, and she knows her daughter's life. And now looking back on that, they get to keep celebrating that moment over and over and over again and hold on to that memory that brings great joy in the sadness that follows, of course, losing somebody. And so it reminds me that when we make decisions to step up for people, when we make decisions to go out of our way, to work hard, to recognize people, um, to love on people, to give them something they value, to make connections with people, that we can really um, change the way people experience life and that it ripples on forever. And so that to us is where the art of moment making really began. And we started asking deeper and deeper questions. How do we make this even more powerful? How can we bring even more hope leading up to the event and the power of that? How can we celebrate people's lives every year? How can we celebrate their anniversaries every year? And then how can we help people to be moment makers every day of their life? Because not everybody's going to create a charity uh, or, and you don't have to, right? Not everybody's going to create a front row experience for Kelly Clarkson for a friend. Not You don't have to. But the little moments in life, you know, writing a little love note and putting it you know, in somebody's lunchbox before they go to school or, or writing your spouse or partner or girlfriend or boyfriend a love note on the mirror in the bathroom. All these little ways that we can um, create moments and some of them are really big and they're grand and they're, you know, like, like this one where, you know, there might be a bigger dollar value attached to it. But um, we wanted to be um, at the heart of what making the most of all of our moments really meant. We all have a certain amount of time. We don't know how much time we have. Uh, we're all stacked up against the minutes in life that are all counting down to the ultimate end that we're all going to leave this planet at some point. And what are we going to do with them? You know, it's why I don't take this interview lightly, because honestly, the fact that we're talking, I'm not doing something else. We're talking on the phone right now and I'm not with my kids, not with my wife. I'm not building something else that I could be building. It's like a choice, right? Every moment needs to count if you value your minutes, which we hope pe- people do. And we want to we want to be a force for that. That's our, that's our mission. And that's what it's all about. That moves us into the subject of values and intention. And I want to come back to that. But before I do, I want to stay on this idea of building moments in everyday life. And for somebody who's listening to this and maybe they don't have a lot of resources, they're in a transitional period of their life, or maybe they'll never have a lot of resources, but they want to build these moments 
maybe because they want deep connection, maybe because they want love, maybe because, I, I mean, maybe they just want to see someone else uh, happy. I'm curious. Well, actually, I have two questions. One is, I use some examples, but why would somebody want to create these moments? I feel like that should be an obvious question, but it might not be. So why would somebody want to create these moments? And second, what are some things that they can do in their everyday life in order to to create these moments? So let's let's talk about why. Why would somebody want to make these moments? Why why is that? Well, I mean, that's going to be a unique and individual answer to everybody. It's a question I would actually just turn around and ask the listeners like, hey, why? Why would you want to? What would be the benefit of this? Right. Where and and, but here's my answer. I can tell you what I think. Um, You know, I remember somebody a long time ago was in 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 an event that I was at that they were trying to make the point that life is actually empty and meaningless until we give it meaning. Like nothing means anything until we give it a meaning. And this actually goes back to the very start of Front Row Foundation. I was at a Jason Mraz concert. I was in the back row. I was as far back as you could possibly be. And I looked down to the front and I saw this group of girls in the front row having the time of their life. And then I looked in the back row and I saw some people that weren't having the time of their life. (laughs) You know, one group looked like they wanted to be nowhere other than there. And other people looked like they were somebody somewhere else other than there. And some people were present and dancing and singing and having an awesome time and others weren't. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Like, isn't that just life? Same exact moment in time, same guy singing a song and yet two people having drastically different experiences. And I thought to myself, we all get to choose, right? How we live our life, how we show up, um, how we're going to approach every moment that we're given. And I started thinking about my life and how I was playing life. You know, a lot of it was, I was, if I was being honest, I was in the back row. I was the guy casually observing life. I wasn't really in it. I wasn't singing. I wasn't dancing. I was shy. I was worried what people thought of me, right? I was safely in the back. I could easily escape. Everything was convenient. I was getting out early before all the cars got backed up. But I was missing real meaning, of, the real meaning of life, being fully present letting go, right? Enjoying. And also the, what, what's cool about the front row concept is it's about shining the light. It's actually a concept we believe in about like if you, the best fans get the best show. So if you want to live a great life, a lot of it's about what, how you shine the light on other people. We, we pay a lot of attention to the, to the concept of get in the game. We like to use that one, right? Like don't live life on the sidelines, get in the game. Well, I'm not opposed to that. I think it's great. I think it's sometimes in life you want to step up and play the game, right? Get in the game. Certainly has value. But let's not underestimate the value of the person on the sideline showing up for somebody else, right? Like being a coach, being a cheerleader, cheering somebody on, right? That's a great value in that. You know, being witness to somebody's life. You don't always have to be the one on stage. So what I recognized about that was that uh, these were all choices and that why we might want to do it is because when we get to the end of our life and we look back, we're ultimately going to look back and ask, are we proud of how we lived this? You know, did we, did we make the most of our time? So many people take their moments for granted because they're just going through life thinking they're always going to be given another one. And the truth is we know that we know that's not the case. I mean, and no, you know, planes go down, people get hit in their cars. Um, 
You know, I, I had a friend who lost a mother who was literally in her home cooking and there was a gas line explosion under the house and that was it. She's cooking breakfast and it was done. And it, these are tragic moments. And I don't like to live in fear that it's all going to come to an end. I don't let that paralyze me, but I like to be aware of it. I like to know that this day counts. So why we want to make the most of our moments is that it's, it, I think most of us at our core are in search of meaning and purpose. We don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to just do that. We want, we want something that actually feels like it has real purpose behind it, real meaning. And so we have to almost create that. Not even almost, we do create that. We have to assign the meaning to something. We have to give it a meaning. And that's a conditioned uh, skill. We have to work on that. So I also believe that our questions that we ask, so here's a, here's a, here, let me move into the practical application every day. Um, a primary question we talk about in our community is how can you consciously create, experience, and celebrate the meaningful moments of life? That's a question worth pausing and writing down for anybody who can. Uh, how can you consciously create, experience, and celebrate the meaningful moments of life? We craft that question very specifically because we want to talk about consciously creating, right? How can you, with intention, with true design, um, create a life where you uh, say, what am I building towards? What am I, you know, that's the hope for the future. How can I create something? How can I decide in advance, what do I want to build here? How can I experience it? Which means living in the moment, right? I don't always control what happens to me, but I can control how I'm experiencing it. And then how can we celebrate? That's looking back. That's our past. How can we look back on something that happened and create it? That's really all that exists, right? We're talking about what's in the future, what's behind us, and what's happening right now. That's We've nailed it all, right? That's it. Those are the three spectrums. So when we want to create moments in our lives every day, I want a dominant question that's showing up constantly for me that says, how can I consciously create experience and celebrate the meaningful moments of life? And I could give you a hundred examples of how this might look. Simple stuff, I, I mentioned one earlier, like we have a box of notes that were written to our boys, we have a nine-year-old and a three-year-old, and every day in their lunch boxes, we put notes in their lunch boxes, or little drawings, or little hearts, or something like that, right, to go in their lunch boxes. It's simple, it's easy, and it matters. And I could even tell you where that began. I could tell you there was another moment that where it began, a simple one. Uh, we have a, a door in our kitchen that's painted with chalk paint, right? So we can write with chalk on it and write messages to each other and to-do lists or whatever. I went to bed one night and my wife cleaned off the door and wrote me a beautiful letter, top of the door to the bottom of the door. I believe in you. There's a fire in you. I'm so grateful to be with you, right? Just this beautiful love note. I came down in the morning and my son was there. He was probably six at the time. And he watched me look at this door and I read it and I cried. And my son saw this, he witnessed this. That moment that my son witnessed caused him to then say to me later, hey, uh, oh, no, he, uh, sorry, he wrote me a note later. He handed it to me and it said in what, it, you know, this young childlike handwriting, you're the best dad in the universe. And it was this beautiful note. I cherished it, right? I, I have it to this day. And then my son said to me, hey, dad, it would be awesome to get notes from you sometime. And not only did I feel horrible when he said that, because it was like, why does my son have to ask me? 
But it made me feel great that he was able to ask me and he prompted me to realize that I could be better at making moments. And so that's where that whole thing started. And we never know the ripple effect of what happens when we create a moment for somebody, how it changes their behavior, their actions, their, how they show up in the world. And I could give you hundreds of examples of this. I could use business examples of where people create moments and it drives the bottom line. I could talk about parenting examples where we create these moments with our kids and we cherish and capture these incredible stories that we could, that we shape value systems in people's hearts there, you know, it continues on. I could talk about this for hours, but I'll stop because you probably won't ask more questions. Well, actually, <laughs> I, I would I would love you to explore some of these because I think what you're doing is you're giving the listeners a vocabulary on what this could what this might look like, right, or how how this might be expressed. So, um, you talked about business, you talked about parents. I started thinking about um, relationships. Use the example of your wife and you and yourself, uh, and that n- note on the mirror. But I would love for you to go into a few more examples. I'll give you more. I'll give you more. I get, we can use a bunch of different examples. Like, let me think, I'll, and I'll think relevant too, right? literally recent examples in my life. Um, I'll give you one. And, and this is how moment making can work for us and against us. Like we make decisions sometimes in moments that aren't positive, right? That have negative impacts that cause a ripple of, um, you know, uh, of, of things we don't want to create in the world because you're angry at somebody and you create a moment for them and they don't forget that, but then they're angry to somebody else. Um, whenever my wife and I are fighting, I am definitely more angry with my kids, period. I know that, right? I don't like it, but if we're fighting and my son walks into the room, my tone with my son is one that is much more stern and angry because I'm literally just transferring energy, right? Very hard to go from like super angry over here to like, yeah, what's up, buddy? You know, you could do it, but it's harder, right? Um, And so I'll give you one. My son is on a climbing team here in Austin. And, uh, my son, my nine year old can be really silly. He can be, and there's nothing wrong with being silly. Uh, however, I will tell you that my head, one of the coaches stood up at one of our team meetings and they were talking about each kid. And this one coach stood up and he talked about how silly tiger was, right? He said, Oh, the tiger's the silliest. They, what they were trying to do is draw out like what makes this child unique, what makes them different. And they were trying to amplify something, Right. Well, he talks about how silly Tiger is. Oh, if there was an award for the silliest kid, you'd win it every time, Tiger. Well, what I saw was the crowd laugh and then Tiger smile. And what I knew is in that moment, he was a moment maker. He was creating a deep value around when I'm silly, I get love. That my team loves it when I'm silly. So so I observed two days later Tiger working with a, a different coach, another guy, not the guy we're talking about who, who said these words about being silly, working with another guy. Tiger's listening deeply. He's doing everything the guy wants. Then the other coach comes over, who's the one who praised Tiger for being silly, recognized it, brought attention to it. And I watched Tiger become the silliest kid to the point to where the coach couldn't even coach, right? And, and, I, and I witnessed how he was a moment maker He made a moment for my son, a moment my son will never forget probably, a moment that was ingrained into his soul. And, but what he did is he amplified something that wasn't the quality that he wanted to amplify per se. Because silliness can be good, right? But silliness, too much of it uh, is not. And what I asked the coach was I said, what I would prefer that we amplify are the qualities that you want to see more of. Even if you don't think he's the most persistent kid on the team, the most courageous kid on the team, the most talented climber on the team, even if you don't believe that, your job is to find the moments where he did demonstrate persistence, the moments where he demonstrated courage. 
and to amplify the qualities of what, you know, you might know this and the audience might know this, this, this growth mindset concept that is very popular now, right? The growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Carol Dweck did great research on this. And, and the growth mindsets, you know, we praise effort, right? You're such a hard worker. You're such a good learner. Because those are qualities that apply to everything versus like the result itself or the qualities that we ask, do we want to amplify this? So if you're out there listening and you're a manager of people, what we recognize, what we amplify, that, that's what we create more of. When we're conscious of the moments we create we, it, we, and we understand why they're so important, we change the dynamics of teams and relationships on a whole. There is a, a concept called the Lasato line. Right. And I'm, I'm saying this to your audience. Right. Many will, will know this. Many will not. The Lasato line is all about how many positive comments there are to negative comments in a relationship. John Gottman, one of the leading researchers on relationships, can predict a divorce with 90 plus percent accuracy by watching and observing a couple engage and interact for a short period of time. And the number one determining factor of whether or not that couple will get a divorce is how many positive to negative comments are exchanged and the ratio of those. And what research has found is that it's a three to one up to a six to one ratio. So there needs to be three positive comments to every one negative one if you want a healthy uh, environment or relationship. And they've tested this in colleges, in hospitals, in businesses, and in, in, in marriages right? Uh, tested over and over and over again, proven results, three to one to six to one. Now, there's actually a point when it can actually become the, the law of diminishing returns, which is if you get too much and they're you know, too positive with nothing that's ever like a, a little ruffle of the feathers, that's also not good. We do want to have some of those uh, challenging conversations, but the ratio of them is important to understand how that works. So if you're a moment maker, you might be making moments that you want to make that are powerful and positive and moments that you might not want to make. People will remember when you said mean things, but that's not the moment you want to create. And we have to be conscious and aware of how our actions, how we show up energetically with the words that we share, how we lead, uh, how we communicate is so very important. And this also goes back to listening, right? Like in any relationship, you could be a moment maker by being a good listener. Sometimes people think that moment making is all about what you're doing, but sometimes moment making is listening. If I'm on stage speaking and somebody's out there and they're listening deeply and they're nodding their head, they are making my day. They are making a moment for me. And the truth is when they're doing that, I'm going to give them a better speech. But if somebody's out there, they got their arms crossed. They look at me like everything I'm saying is ridiculous. That affects me. I don't want it to, but I'm human and I see that and it affects me. And then sometimes I even get into my head like, oh, I'm not doing a good job. I better try, you know, and, and it throws me off my game a little bit. We're all making moments, whether we like to or not, right? No matter what we do, if you're sitting in the crowd and you pull out your phone and you start texting, you're going to affect the person next to you. you you're, you're moment making for that person, just not the one you want to. Tell me if you want me to keep going, but I mean, I give you a hundred examples of where it works and where it doesn't work. Yeah, there's a, let's use some professional ones. Let me use a hotel example that's a famous one. So um, this is great. Anybody that's in the customer service business will appreciate this. So there was a story years ago from the Ritz-Carlton. Family shows up. They're on vacation. Um, guy has a, a young boy who leaves his stuffed animal, a little, little giraffe named Joshi, at the resort. And he's crushed. You know, you know, little kids and their stuffed animals. Like, he wants this animal back. And so the dad calls up the resort and says, man, we left this there. And they found it, which is great. He said, listen. 
to ease my son's anxiety, I told him that uh, uh, Joshi was just on an extended vacation. So if you guys would do me a favor, just take a quick picture with Joshi, you know, you know, maybe like laying in the lounge chair and send it, you know, with Joshi. That would be awesome because it would just make my son's day. And so the Ritz Carlton being moment makers says, and they ask the question, how can we turn this into a moment? How can we turn now into wow? How can we give meaning to this moment? Ordinary moment, how do we elevate the meaning? So what they do, they take Joshi all around the resort. They get Joshi with the security guards. They make Joshi his own security badge, right? They take him out to the, uh, they got him in the golf cart. They got him at the front desk checking people in. They create a photo album of Joshi doing all the things that you could do at the resort, right? And they send that back with the official badge, right? The, the, the hotel badge back to this little boy. Story goes viral. You can't buy that type of attention, right? Even if the Ritz Carl wanted to try to buy that attention, man, that was good press. And here we are. I'm talking about it on a podcast, right? Talking about the Ritz-Carlton, talking about how awesome they are. That's a practical example about how if people are willing to go a little bit further, if they're willing to listen to the other people and say, what would be important to that little boy? What would be important to that family? How can we make them smile, laugh, love, feel a little bit more of this life? And we act that way. We find, I'll give you another practical example, in our charity, right? We raise, we've raised millions of dollars in our charity and we've tracked our statistics over the years. We have hundreds of people that donate monthly to our cause. And when somebody decides to be a monthly donor, depending on how we treat them in their first hundred days, changes whether or not they will be a long-term donor, um, by almost 50%. So the practical example for, for us, and this goes for any business customer service, my, one of my very good friends, uh, Joey Coleman, wrote a book called How to Never Lose a Customer Again. And he studies the trends of customers uh, or, or, or client retention in the first 100 days. The average company will lose 20 to 70% of their customers in the first 100 days because they are not moment makers. But if they found a way, a simple way, to engage their clients, they would retain uh, a much higher percentage. And depending on industry, of course, that'll change. But for us, you know what that was? How we engaged our, our donors? Uh, immediately sending a handwritten thank you note, right? That's a huge difference. I remember having a guy make a donation one time and I sent him a card and I made a phone call and said, thank you. And he called me back. He said, man, I've donated to a lot of charities and I've never gotten that handwritten card and a call from the executive director. That's huge. That guy ended up hosting a golf tournament for the next four years that raised over $150,000 for our charity, all because he got a handwritten thank you card in the mail. How many other places can we be moment makers for people? My buddy John Berghoff runs a company called Flourishing Leadership Institute, and they have a, a training called LEAF training where they teach people how to be appreciative inquiry facilitators. It's a, it's a group conversation process. So you know, big companies like Facebook and BMW bring him in to uh, facilitate group conversation. Well, he's always ask, asking, how can he make the moment for the group? So I'll give you an example of how he does this. Uh, one of his activities is he lays out all these pictures around the room and they're nature pictures. And he asks people to go pick one of the photographs off the wall that they identify with, that for some reason it calls to them. And then the, he asks them to 
think about why they picked that picture. What is it about that picture that is important to them? What is it about their character or their value system or how they, what they believe about life that is represented somehow in that picture, right? Uh, this picture represents, uh, uh, you know, serenity. This picture represents vitality. This picture represents possibility. But it's a little peek into their soul, right, about what's important to them. They share it with partners. They talk about it. And then what happens is they write their name on the back of the picture and the team collects them. At the end of their group events, they take a group picture. Everybody's in the group picture. And uh, nobody knows what's coming next. But at the very, very end, right before they leave, he hands everybody in the room a framed photograph that has the group picture in it and a picture of the thing that they value. That's a representation of who they are at their core. You know, they're the best version of themselves and he gives that to them as a takeaway gift. Now that person's gonna probably take that home, probably gonna hang it up on their wall and probably be thinking about John Berghoff and Flourishing Leadership Institute and the time that they spent together and all of that forever and ever and ever. Right. Like until I have a picture right now sitting on my my bookshelf that was sent to me by a friend. Right. He, he, he printed it out. It was on it was on a plastic. It was like a little moment. Well, it was like it was it was a picture printed on plastic. And he wrote on the back of it with a gold Sharpie marker. You know, amazing to see you. Great. To, I, I didn't throw it away. I put it up on my my wall. I'm looking at it every day. I, dude, how many more examples do you want? But I, I, I have a dozen. I could give you more. I could literally, you want one more? Can I give you another phone? Yeah, I would love it. Absolutely. These are probably really valuable for people, right? Like, let me give you another one. So um, my buddy, John Rulin runs a company um, uh, where he is a gift giving expert, right? His, uh, he, his team, they're giftologists. He has a very popular book called Giftology. And his whole concept is uh, strategic gifting to value people. And uh, it you know can can give you access to people you never had access to. It could give you an increased uh, um, client base. It could it could give you more referrals, right? Bigger bigger sales, bigger clients. And he teaches this concept. But well, one of his gifts is this hand carved mug. And I'll tell you, I got one. So here's what happened. One of our front row dads. So I run a dad's group. I mentioned that, right? So one of our dads, Brad, had me on his podcast. And to say thank you for being on the podcast, uh, I didn't know this was coming, but what, what he did is, is he connected with Rulin, John Rulin, John Rulin's company reaches out to Tatiana, my wife, and asks questions about me. Most significant moments in my life. What do I really believe in? What do I value, et cetera? Did the same thing for me about Tatiana. Neither one of us knew. They just told us that each, each one of us, it was a secret, right? They take these stories these values, these concepts, they send it to this guy who makes these custom made mugs where he carves into the side of the mug representations of the things that you value. So I, I get this package in the mail and I open it up and it's got two mugs in it. I open it up, I look at it and I'm like, oh, this is nice. Somebody sent me a mug. And then I start looking at it. And I go, wait a minute. That says, that says live life in the front row, right? And it's got a picture of a person with their hands up in the air at like front row at a concert. And I was like, wait a minute, this looks like this was made for me. And then, and then I'm looking at it and I turn the mug under and underneath of it, it says, John, you know, thank you so much for giving your gifts to the world and con contributing so much in some made, made big ways. And it was this personal message on the bottom of the mug. Then I look inside and there is a USB drive. I'm like, what is this? I plug it in and it is the artist who made the mug. He's literally talking into a camera and he says, John, you know, my name is, you know, I can't remember his name, but you know, my name is Bill and I heard about you. I heard that you started this charity back in 2005, man, oh man, front row foundation. You guys are doing amazing work. 
I heard how you're lifting people up. So if you look there on the side of the mug, you'll see I put somebody in there at the front row of their event. You're doing that. You're connecting with people. You're making a difference. And I just wanted to honor you for that. And I want to tell you, that's why I put that on the mug. I also heard that you've got two beautiful boys, you know, and an amazing wife. And I heard such a, you're such a great dad. I heard even your son Tiger's a climber. And he goes, that's why I put a picture on the other side of a climber. And I put a picture of you cheering him on. And he literally like, dude, I'm in tears. I'm in tears, right? I get this, what a meaningful gift. I will never forget that moment. I, I've got that mug in my, in my kitchen downstairs. I look at it every single day. You want to talk about like good for business, but look, it's not all about business. Isn't it great when we can not only improve the bottom line, but we can also do something just because it's the right thing to do because we're a human being and like, you know, it can't all be about profit. It just has to be because it's the right thing to do, period. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisman.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I mean, this is awesome. Um, and, and I, for me, these resonate a lot more. I mean, you told the story at the beginning about being in the front row and in the back row, and that story doesn't necessarily resonate with me. And the reason why is because um, maybe all somebody can afford is uh, the seat in the back row. And But the, I do think that there's a conscious, you can make a conscious choice about when you're in the back row, creating a moment right and 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 embracing the situation and so that, that metaphor didn't necessarily work for me but these other stories do in a deep very deep meaningful meaningful way um because i think they can be applied to being in the back row if that's just where you're at and i, and I think about when i was in junior high school uh i was sitting and there was a speaker and he was talking about uh he was talking about the holocaust and uh he lost most of his family in the holocaust but he he said that even when he was in the camps where his family was executed, he had like sort of deep emotional moments that like he would never forget. And that has stuck with me after all these years that, that we always have this sort of conscious, uh, we can always make a conscious choice to find happiness or to find a moment, even in, in situations that feel bad or in, in his case are fucking catastrophic. And I think, I mean, I really like this because on our podcast, I've never really had somebody come in and talk about all these small experiences that really do resonate with me. And going back to what I was saying earlier, I hope they give 
the listeners a vocabulary to understand how they can apply these concepts in everyday life to build these emotional like th- these emotional experiences and deeper bonds and connections and um, some of the examples of how it affected you or affected your children uh, or affected your wife for me they, they feel very profound so I, I want to thank you for sharing them and and they're really a reflection of of values right and so if somebody's listening to this and they're not very clear around what their values are or their priorities are sort of spread out in a lot of different directions, how do they figure out what is important to them? What do they value so that they can focus in the way that you're describing with some of these experiences? Because I think oftentimes people get spread in so many different directions that it's hard for them to do that. And so you're talking about instead of going wide, really going deep. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, I think if you, well, I mean, when you say that, it's like, I, I believe you walk into a room and you try to meet everyone, you meet no one. This is what happens at parties, right? People walk in and they they can't just talk with the person they're talking to. They've got to be looking around the room to see if somebody else is cooler there, or, you know, whatever. And they think that they've got to say hi to everybody, but you don't. Um, you know, if you meet everyone, you meet no one. If you do everything, you do nothing. I love when people give me a business card and they got eight things. And I'm like, nah, you probably don't do any of them. Great. <laughs> you know, it's the... It's not, you know, and that's not the case with everybody, but I'm speaking in generalities. This is my own experience, you know, that in life. And um, part of the challenge is people don't do the work of figuring out what do they care about. I mean, listen, you don't need a big system. You can find people that will walk you through the systems of figuring out your values, and that can get as complicated as you want. You know, I've been to some amazing Tony Robbins events, and he'll spend 8, 10, 12 hours just working on your values, right? And, and uh, you still, at the end of that, feel like you need more time. For a lot of people, it's a lifelong pursuit of evaluating and then reevaluating their values because as they change and the world changes, their values will often shift and change. I'll tell you, when you have kids, you know, a lot of times your values change. What's important changes. What you care about changes. It'll evolve. So you got to check in on that regularly. But <clears throat> listen, as a, as a basic first step, some people just need to sit down with their journal, open it up, and for an hour, just sit there in silence. We're oftentimes so afraid of silence. We're so busy checking you know, Facebook and Instagram and text messages that we just have, we, a lot of us need less to get more. We need, we need, we need a a bigger break in our schedule. Like just doing more is not the key to a fulfilling life. You know, it's, 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 if you, if you're not moving in the direction that you want to be, that's where people are like, I'm, I'm kicking ass, but somehow something doesn't feel right here. That's because you're probably not moving in alignment with your values. And that's, that's your internal guidance system just going something's off. So if you sat down and you just wrote the question, what do I care about? So really what we're talking about here when you talk about values, like what's important to me? What do I care about? There's lots of ways to ask that question. You could even say like, you know, what am I doing when I feel most alive? What am I doing when I feel most at peace? Who am I connecting with? Where am I? What environment am I in? Look for patterns. Look for your life has been a big experimentation. And most people are so busy and life is so noisy that they can't even hear the whispers of their soul telling them what they really know. Deep down inside, it's like people come to me and say, John, I've been dating this person. How do I know if they're the right person to marry, right, they're talking about? And I'd say, when you don't have to ask that question. (laughs) Because when you know, you don't ask anybody. In fact, people can't even talk you out of it when you know. And if you have to ask that question, then it might not be the right time or the right person. And it's fine to ask that question, but when th- that's the way certainty works. When we find it, we know. 
And if and we can't find it often unless we're being quiet enough to, which is why so many people, especially nowadays, and again, nowadays it's like it's like things go through cycles, right? This things that we talked about for thousands of years, but just the concept of meditation is so important now. Why books like The One Thing or Essentialism are are gaining so much traction is because we're we're busier and busier and busier. We've got more and more opportunities to get knowledge. And like our friend, our mutual friend Jay Papazan always says, like you know, you can't know it all. You just can't. You can't do it all, you can't know it all, and you can't have it all, right? You can't. So you've got to pick. And and people don't like this idea of prioritizing their values because they're like, I value it all. And you go, yeah, but you 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 should rank them. <laughs> like for me, when I rank out my values, I recognize this. And I learned this from Tony Robbins, who I love learning from over the last 20 years. But it's like Tony would say, earlier in my life, his number one value was passion. And what ended up happening was so passionate that his health took a toll. Started to started to actually have consequences with his health because his passion took the toll. You don't sleep and you don't eat right and you skip things and you know because you're so passionate. Well, eventually one day you go, hmm. If I don't have my health, I have nothing to be passionate about. <laughs> so now health is his number one priority, and it takes priority over everything because without that, nothing else happens. How? What do we value and in what order? In the book, The Front Row Factor, I write about who's in your front row. This concept about we get to choose our relationships in life and who we're going to give time and attention to. I use the metaphor that if you're at a concert and you're on stage and you look out, you might know hundreds and thousands of people in your life, but you only can give front, row, front and center tickets to a few people, right? You have to choose. And, and the question is, who gets a front row seat to your life, Chris, right? Like, who, who is that? And sometimes we have people in our front row we're giving so much time and attention to, we should push them back. We should, give, we should not answer the phone for that person. We should not be hanging out with them anymore. There are people on our teams we should fire. There are people that we're dating we should break up with. And there are friends that we have that we should not be friends with. And there are other people that we would really, really benefit from connecting with. And yet we've got them so far away and we're not calling them and we're not connecting and we're not taking their calls because we're so busy with the other people. We, we have to know. So if you were to write out your top eight relationships, and this is a practical step that your audience could take away right now. And this could be one of the most valuable. I'm going to give you this and then uh, we can we can start to wrap. But here's the deal. Um, Write out your eight most important relationships in life. It is everybody, Fr friends, family, business, whatever it is, you just determine in life, in the years you have on this planet, who are the most important people. Right now, that'll likely shift in the next six to 12 months, but right now, who are the most important people and rank them one to eight in order of importance, right? Not easy to do, but do it. Then, next to the name, here's the question. Do you know what that person's number one dream or goal is right now in life? Most people, cannot do this exercise. They can't finish it. They do not know, A, who their relationships are and how they would rank them, that's tough, but they'll do it. And then number two, the hardest part is, they don't know what their eight most important relationships in life are with their, when it comes to their dreams and their goals. They don't know what their dreams and goals are. That's a problem. Because if we really think that these are the eight most important people in my life and I don't even know what their dreams and goals are, I have a problem. Because we want people to support our dreams and goals. We want people to lift us up and support us, but if we're not willing to do the same for the eight most important people in our life, then we can't expect that in return. Who was it, Zig Ziglar, that said, if you want uh, to get everything you want in life, help enough people get what they want in life. That's it. This whole concept that we talk about, moment making, is about shining the light. It's about knowing what's important to people and helping them to get more of that.
It's the key to relationships. We talk about love languages. If you don't know what your, what your love language is of your partner, you cannot connect. If you don't know what somebody's favorite stuff is, what they value, what they care about, what dreams are chasing, you cannot help them to get there. And you cannot go deep enough and you cannot build a successful business and you will not have a successful marriage and you will not connect with your kids and you won't have amazing friends unless you take the time to know what people want, what they want, how they're, and, 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 and uh, helping them to get there. You have to know what people want and you have to be committed to helping them get there. There's a life of service and that's what the front row factor is all about. It's a life of giving. How do you know what somebody wants? You ask. I had one time, I, I, I was in a room full of people and uh, I was talking to managers and I was talking about helping their people. And somebody said, John, how do I know what motivates my people? I said, you ask your people what motivates you. <laughs> it seems so simple, but come on, right? Like a lot of times what people care about is like, I have a question that I wrote in the book and it was, what's a question you wish people would ask you more often? Simple question. I remember I was at a party, uh, the president of our company, his wife was there. I was like, oh man, she gets asked a lot of questions, but I don't want to be that guy that asks her the question that everybody asks her. So I asked the question, Hey, Madeline, what is a question that you wish people would ask you more often at a party like this? Maybe one that you don't get asked as often as you want, right? She says, oh, John, everybody asks me about my kids. I, I talk about my kids 700 times a night. Hey, man, how's the family? How are the kids? She goes, I'm so sick and tired of talking about that. I love my kids, but I'm tired. She said, I'm teaching this spin class at the gym and I love it. It's so good, but nobody asked me about it. I said, Madeline, tell me about your spin class. <laughs> and she just lit up. It was so easy because I just asked which is why one of the best things is not to ask people what they do, but ask people what they're excited about. I like to ask people, what, what's, what's waking you up in the morning, right? What are you driving towards? I got a chance to interview Lance Armstrong last week at an event, and I said, Lance, what's worth fighting for right now? I just wanna know what's compelling to people. And, and, and when you listen, they reveal values. They reveal what they care about. I'm going to bring this up um, because I, I just keep thinking about it um, as you're talking. And you used the example earlier of your son and the silliness. And a couple of things come up. One is this idea that we nurture certain values out of people, right? And the coach is nurturing silliness. There's something innate probably there, or maybe it could have been a coach's projection, but there's something innate there Um or maybe that's something that the coach values or, or whatever. Uh, but the idea that we nurture these things, uh, the emotions, we, we nurture certain behaviors out of people. And, and, uh, and you see this in a classroom, whether you have a second grade class and they're putting stars on a board for someone who reads a lot and that becomes a part of their identity or somebody who's really fast and they're validated for being a good athlete or somebody else is validated for being really caring or beautiful. We nurture these things. Um, that's one thing that came up just like, how profound that is on our life. The second thing I thought about was um, this idea that I've seen people for what they really are because somebody like Chappelle, I mean, and maybe not, I've, I've never interviewed Chappelle or never talked to him about this, um, but he might argue that like making somebody laugh is uh, something that's really, that's great and has deep meaning for him. So figuring out not only the balance between nurturing the values that we want out of somebody, but also the balance between seeing them as they who as they really are. And I don't know if this applies to your son at all, but I just thought of that example, like this balance between seeing somebody, because we can ask 
there's situations where I think that's super clear. We ask somebody, what is it that, that you need or what is it that you want someone to ask you? But then there's other times where we listen with our eyes and we listen with our other senses and people really want to be seen for who they really are. And it's not quite, it's, maybe it's not quite as clear. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah. And this, it, it, what you're bringing up could literally, you could have days of debate about how to do that. How do you truly honor what somebody is at their core and 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 how do you amplify a value perhaps or recognize that there is they're selling themselves short like i'll give you an example um i'll give you a personal example and one with my son right so my personal example is that when i was uh, growing up i created an identity that i'm not good at reading or writing or anything to do with the written word period i just made an agreement and who knows where that all came from how many uh things that were you know self-imposed what things teachers had said what experiences i had i do remember at one point my parents saying well you might have some type of learning disability and even that little seed they planted always was in my head saying maybe there's just something wrong with me and that's why i'm not doing well here and, and so then that's the that's the you kind of give up you're like well maybe there's just something wrong with me so it's not me, it's not effort, it's that there's something wrong with me. Very easy for those things to happen in our lives. Then I get to a Tony Robbins event in my mid-20s, and he basically teaches the audience how to identify what might be bullshit beliefs in your life. What have you believed your whole life that might be total bullshit? And I was sitting there, I was thinking, I was thinking, I was like, you know, man, what if this whole I'm not good at reading thing is total bullshit? And he teaches you how to squash the belief and then how to create a new one and put it in its place and to encant that, right? To affirm that and to recreate, to create these new neural pathways in your brain, to have new firing of these connections and strengthen them so that you have a new belief, to create like a, a new subconscious thought. And I did it, did the exercise, came home that year, I, I read like 50 books. And, and reading those 50 books got me a promotion at work. It changed my identity. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, it's, <laughs> I, I, I'm actually a good reader. And I, and now you see my library, I have thousands of books, right? And it's part of my identity some 20 years later. It's part of my, I'm a great reader. It's part of how people know me, John, John the reader, right? Like, it's like, he reads probably more than anybody. Amazing how that shift can occur because we identify an old belief and replace it with a new one. I, I and, and sometimes we, you know, I've had this question about a uh, business on being an entrepreneur. You know, one of the most common questions is, how do you know when you're doing a business and you're right on the verge of breakthrough and you just need to stay persistent at it? And when, and, and, and then on the flip side, when is the market telling you this isn't working, you need to pivot? Because you hear the stories about people, I was just about to quit, I hung on a little bit longer and boom, it popped. And then other people, you're like, um, they're hanging on and they're hanging on and you almost want to look at them and go, you're probably not going to win the voice. I've heard you sing and you're you know, like, I'm not one to limit potential, but it's probably not going to happen, right? There is a moment when we all either on our own or somebody coaches us to say, it's time to pivot. That business idea, that idea, it's not going to work. That relationship that you just keep hanging on saying, if you send her one more love letter, she'll come crawling back to you and saying, I made the biggest mistake of my life breaking up with you. It's just time to move on. How do we know? Man, I mean, you know, weeks of discussion, months of discussion, years of discussion. I, these are, these are tough things, but here's, here's my final piece of this, right? Um, let me give you a story about how it relates to how I parent. And this is a, there's a true story about my son, Tiger. And I tell this, it's on YouTube. Uh, people can watch this video. It's on my website, uh, frontrowfactor.com. If they want to go see this story or hear this story again or share it with somebody that needs it. 
here's the story. I'm at the, I'm at the park with my son and there's a big rock wall about 40 feet high. And my son wants to climb the wall. He's four years old. And I'm thinking, no way, big kid activity. There's no way he can, I don't even think he's going to fit in the harness, let alone be able to make it up this wall. This is for, this is for adults. Um, and he persists, right? He's just a kid persistent. Come on, dad, come on. Let me just, all right, tiger, let's go. Let's give it a shot in my heart. No way this is going to work. My son gets a harness on, climbs on that wall and just flies up the wall about 90% of the way up the wall. And then he stops. Now I'm already blown away. I'm already like, oh man, you know, like he's so like, I'm blown. I'm just beside myself that he was able to do this. He gets to the top of the wall and he stops and he looks down. The wall inverts out. It's a negative, negative wall. And he says, Papa, I can't. And I'm thinking, well, of course you can't. Like this is an expert part of the wall. Like there's no way. I don't, I don't even think I could do that. And, uh, he, you know, I, I'm, it, this is what I'm saying in my head. And, and I just shout up to him. The thing I think is the right thing to say as a dad. I said, it's okay, buddy. You tried your best. With that, he decides that he's going to let go and come back down. And he tried his best. But the guy who was working at the Rockwa, he turns to me and he says, hey, man, I think he could do it. He looks back up at my son and he just says to him, he says, hey, little man, try again. Simple yet profound. My son, with the new confidence of this guy who really believes he can do it, grabs a hold of the wall, gives it another go, and makes it to the very, very top. And everybody's celebrating. He, he hits this button, the lights go off, he comes back down, he's smiling so big, so proud of himself. And he walks over and I'm high-fiving, I'm congratulating, I'm like, you did it, buddy, I'm so proud of you, I'm so amazed, right? And I'm genuinely celebrating with him. There's this other guy that's standing there and, and we're, we get to talking when my son's getting the harness taken off and he looks at me and he says, hey man, he says, he goes, wow, he goes, how old is he? I said, he's four. He says, man, he goes, that's really impressive. I said, I know, I was, I was kind of shocked. And then we get to talking and talking and, and eventually he says, what do you do for a living? And I was like, I'm a motivational speaker. <laughs> and when I say that, I realize how ridiculous this whole scenario was that here's his dad the motivational speaker, the one that's like, you could do it. I believe in you, right? Like push harder, full, full potential. You know, I've run ultra marathons in my life and I was, I hated the doubters, right? Cause I was like, I want, and I said, I'll never do that to my son. And yet here I did it. I doubted him. I, I didn't think he had the potential to do it. Why is it that dad, the motivational speaker coach, uh, did that? And here's why we treat people. We behave with people. We ask questions. We encourage based on how we remember somebody who they were yesterday or last week or last month or last year. We get trapped in that and we fail to see how they might've evolved or who they could evolve into in any given moment, given the belief that they could create a new identity in any given moment. They could shed an old story and have a new one. And I recognized in that, in that instance with my son, how often I could have been doing that in other areas, whether it be his ability to read or climb a wall or do whatever. I also recognize the power that a pure stranger has in helping somebody in life. It, this guy didn't need to have any rapport with my son. He didn't know anything about him. There was just a moment of where he spoke some kind words, some encouraging words his way. And my son had this incredibly important transformative moment of his life. Now, I don't know if that guy was fully responsible for what would happen down the road, 
But my son now at nine, five years later, is on a competitive climbing team in Austin. Climbing is his thing. And I wonder, and I can only ever wonder, if I look back on that moment, if that guy wouldn't have said that, if Tiger would have come off the wall early, if he would be a competitive climber today, if he would have this deep-seated belief that he has what it takes to make it to the top. And see, I think that is the power of, uh, of moment-making. I think that's the power of seeing potential in people, in creating an identity, in not only nurturing what might be there inherently in the, in, in the innate sense of like, they were born with this, right? That you nurture that, but that you also never know. I don't know what's completely inherent to my son, what's in his DNA, and whether or not I'm, but all I can do is I can cheer, I can nurture, I can support, I can listen, I can acknowledge, I can reflect, I can ask questions. I can be in supportive of what's possible. I can pay attention and try to pivot and support when needed. If he wants to not be a climber, you know, okay, let's go try something else. It's all a balance. This is the art form behind all this. I don't think there are any clear cut answers, but I think what's really important is not that we had a, a, a solid answer today to somebody to say, I know the answer to Chris's question in one sentence. What's really important is that you're asking the question. I do subscribe to the belief that what's more important than the answer is the question. If we become masters at asking the right questions, we will always create something amazing from that because our world and other people's worlds are truly shaped the minute we ask a question. When you go order your coffee tomorrow at Starbucks and you ask the barista behind the counter what she's grateful for, you've changed how she feels. You've changed her focus, you've changed the direction, changed the direction of her day. We all have to be really careful with how we show up for people in life what we say, what we ask, how we listen, how we participate. We're all, you, nobody's neutral here, right? Everybody's playing. And that's my, that's my uh, encouragement for everybody to go out and recognize the power you have to make moments today, whether small or big or, and, and arguably, by the way, I never think there's a difference. I actually think that's like a, that's a lie we tell ourselves, whether that's a small or a big moment. I think they're just moments. You know, and we, you can't like, you, look, you know, like we praise Bill Gates because he's the founder of, you know, the biggest charity in the world. But we, we fail to sometimes see the guy who answered the suicide hotline save someone's life, and then the person's life who he saved is the genius who finds the cure for cancer. We don't, we don't really know someone's value entirely when we carry it out far enough. We give, you know, we give Martin Luther King uh, all the praise, and he deserves it, right? But what about mom who, who took care of that baby when the baby couldn't take care of itself? There's so many people along the way. Nobody ever does these things independently. Uh, we often want to praise people independently, but there's so many factors involved in the moment-making process, right? And we just have to understand our power and the power of other people, and then we need to go after it. It just makes me think that we're all connected and moments are the way that we connect to each other. We are! That's it. That's a perfect summary. John, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I know we're over on time, so I'll wrap it up. But if you're interested in learning about John and everything that he's do doing and including his front row organization. And hopefully I can get you to come back and talk about front row dads at some point. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to post some descriptions on the website and within the description of this podcast so that you can find out about him more easily. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, this is great, man. Thanks for having me. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, 
do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.